It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. When faced with her husband Sean's terminal brain cancer diagnosis, Fox LA's morning meteorologist Maria Quaban Whitesell found herself in a position she could not have imagined. She had to learn to deal with illness, death and grief, all while caring for her son and wearing a smile every day in front of millions on television. Maria joins us to talk about her journey and to offer actionable insights that can help navigate change. Maria is the author of the book, You Can't Do It Alone, A Widow's Journey Through Loss, Grief, and Life After. Welcome, Maria. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Joan. So, Maria, let's start off by talking about your relationship with Sean. What was your life like before his diagnosis? It was, I really thought we were living our happily ever after. We uh, we met a little bit later. You know, I was already divorced. I was a single mom with one older child who was ready to graduate high school. And so when I met Sean, I was in such a great place mentally. Uh, my career was well, and he was in the same boat. So when we met, it was just really fantastic for for both of us because we were mature, we were ready, and we were just so um, so set in in our personal lives that this was just the added uh, wonderful cherry on top of our of our stories. And so we got married. We um, had a child that we thought we couldn't possibly have. I was 41, and having a baby at that time was not the easiest thing in the world, but there he came, and we were just ecstatic as our family continued to grow. And um, my, our son Gus was three years old, and we had decided, since we really had gotten married, that we hadn't traveled too far from home. So we thought we were ready to go on this big adventure to Paris. We'd never been, either of us. And so together, it was going to be very special. And um, Sean was young. He, he was, you know, only 50. He had just turned 50. And so we were so excited at this trip. And it was there on this trip that I realized he was behaving really unlike himself. He was a very healthy person. He worked out all the time. He was usually up before I was. And so on this trip, I realized that he wanted to sleep in. He uh, was very forgetful, but but uh, disturbingly so. And he was someone who used to live in New York for many years, and he couldn't get the concept of catching a cab or hailing a cab. So I knew something was wrong. And when we got back home, I asked him to see a doctor. I made him promise, actually, while we were on this trip. And two weeks after we landed from that trip in Paris, uh, he was diagnosed with terminal, incurable, um, even inoperable brain tumors, which ended up being glioblastoma, just a devastating brain cancer disease. When I had heard the story for the first time, it, it brought me back one of my best friends 10 years ago was cleaning her house and she collapsed. 
and she was mm-hmm. also diagnosed with glioblastoma. When you look back at it now, you, you were talking about when you first noticed it, but when you look back, are you able to see subtle things that may have been occurring, or was it something pretty sudden like what happened with my friend? You know, in hindsight, you know, hindsight 2020, there were a couple of instances, and I talk about it in the book, how I did look back and go, huh, that did give me pause, I would say, within a year and a half to two years before he was diagnosed, that there were some instances where he he did act strangely, or at least not himself, and that could have pointed to the beginning, or at least when those tumors could have possibly been starting to grow. Doctors didn't know exactly how long they'd been there or how long they were affecting him. But there were definitely some signs now, as I look back, that would have maybe alerted us, but we justified them. You know, we thought they were due to him uh, getting a new job or uh, just the stress of, of having a new baby or uh, turning 50, like some anxiety related to that. So they were kind of explainable until they weren't anymore on that trip to Paris. Right. right. And, and what was the treatment like for Sean and for the whole family? Well, um, we were first told about the fact that brain cancer has no cure. And so we were prepared to a degree, I guess, at the possibility that he would be um, gone. He would be not with us within as little as a few months if we did nothing, meaning we didn't have any treatments, um, you know, available to him. Or maybe a year if we were lucky, a little bit over a year. Um, So we were kind of faced with that in the beginning, and it was terrifying we were very fortunate to have a very close relationship with our family. We have a large extended family. And so we all sort of mobilized after the initial shock kind of came on and we researched every doctor, every hospital, research hospital and treatment that we could find. And we all kind of came to the same place, which was there really wasn't that much available. And that's really one of the reasons why we thought that our story would make, or at least could possibly make a difference in bringing a a light and shine a light on the lack of funding for research for this disease. There hasn't even been any real advancement in, in the treatment of this disease over the last few decades. When my friend had it 10 years ago, she was in a clinical trial, and she lasted for about four and a half years, but it was a very challenging four and a half years. It it really wasn't any quality of life that she had at that point. And, um, you know, I, I also yeah. have experienced my father, brother, and sister have all died of cancer. So it, it's a very challenging oh. journey for the person and for the entire family. It, it's not just the patient that it touches. It, it touches everyone's lives. Absolutely. I mean, there, there are some stark differences between the different kinds of cancers that are out there. But I think the most significant thing about brain cancer or any brain disease like Alzheimer's or any um, brain, uh, even uh, what you call dementia, Mm -hmm. especially brain cancer, it really takes away the essence of who you are and can really bring on some incredibly devastating deficits. 
so it's a little bit different from the different types of cancers um, that are out there. And it just, it's hard to do research on someone's brain, right? So often when you're diagnosed with brain cancer, it's often too late. You mentioned your friend who, whose quality of life was, was quite, um, wasn't really there uh, for those number of years. And, and so I'm hoping and praying that we will get somewhere um, in my lifetime, hopefully, mm-hmm. to find uh, some kind of cure. So, Maria, when, when you were going through all of this in your home and, and you're watching the person that you love trying to manage this, you were still working. And, and it wasn't like you had an office job where you could close the door and hide away. It was a very public, mm-hmm. visible job where you had to put on a happy face every day. Where did you find the strength to be able to do that? Yeah, it, um, you know, while I was there doing it, I guess, and, and even today, because I definitely have my days and moments, um, I just, I, I looked at it as, you know, it was a job that I needed. Um, I needed to have that livelihood and that income. For many people, you can't just be at home with your loved one caregiving. And so um, I can understand those challenges. For me, I did the weather every day, and if you watch the news, that's typically the part of the newscast that can bring uh, a lighthearted look at the day. Uh, I used to joke that it was the part of the newscast that actually looked forward in time versus talk about the past. And so for me, it was an escape, if you will, for a short amount of time in the day to be away from the stress of of the home. I didn't like being away from a husband, but I knew that I needed to go to work. And so I kind of put a different hat on, if you will, and I just compartmentalized that part of me and I kind of left it in my car. And I remember I would walk out of the elevator with um, just a sort of a different attitude and knew what I needed to do um, while I was there at work. Maria, the the work that I'm doing now, I started this when I was 43 years old, and it was the result of my 23-year marriage ending and my mother and sister dying all within six months. And I found that rather than allow myself, and and I use the word allow because I have come to learn that I think it is a choice, um, allow Mm -hmm. myself to to stay in that dark hole of despair and, and grief and feeling sorry for myself, that I did use the work or, you know, getting out into the world as a a healing mechanism. Do you think that, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to compartmentalize and and get away from what was going on in the home, do you think that that had a healing impact for you as well? Oh, 100%. Um, You know, often my smile could have been forced on many occasions uh, during those 18 months and beyond. But inevitably, after you force that first smile, you get caught up in the day. You get caught up in the the flow and the people around you. And I'm very fortunate to work with some amazing people who really are my work friends, but friends in real life as well. And so many of them would take the time to uh, make me laugh. I think laughter is really important, even if it's the most mundane joke that they could find uh, out of their arsenal that that morning or that day. And, you know, it starts from there. It starts with a forced smile, which becomes a real smile, which becomes a feeling that comes over you. And if 
for those few moments you forget, it does bring on um, a different feeling in your mind and in your heart and your body. And so for me, it was almost a saving grace to be at work every day because it did help me get through each day and gave me the strength to go back home and that fuel, if you will, Mm -hmm. to go back home and, and, and get a different job done, you know? Yeah. So, so in addition to working and, and, you know, trying to keep yourself out there in the world in a productive way, what else are you doing to help put the pieces of your life back together? What advice can you offer to someone who might be going through grief like you are? Well, um, there's a number of things that I know that helped me. And the first thing was the support group that I found at the UCLA Brain Cancer uh, Center. The uh, support group was um, something that I was hesitant to go to. I just I felt like I didn't want to be around other people with, with spouses who were dying, and I just didn't want to be a part of that club. My only regret now was, was not going soon enough. I really can't tell you how much it helped to me to be amongst people who could understand what I was going through. And I didn't realize that until I got there. And even when I got there, there were some days where I thought, oh, I, maybe I just wasted some time that I could have spent at home. But honestly, it was so good for me and my, my heart and my soul. And I encourage everybody out there to seek support, whether it's um, grief support or support of your community and your church. But I'm a big advocate for family counseling and um, therapy. I could not have been able to speak to my husband and communicate accurately without the help of our therapist, Mm -hmm. and not to mention talk about it with our young son. So without them and that support system, I just know it would have been an even more difficult road. So I encourage you to seek out and get help um, in that way. And I know today it's more difficult because of the pandemic, but we can do it uh, via technology. There's so many resources for us that are that are there. And what have you learned, Maria, that can be something an outside person can do to be helpful, that, you know, to help the person who's in pain? What could we be doing? Well, for me, um, there were many people who reached out to me and, um, you know, first of all, asked me how I was doing and and uh, didn't wait for me necessarily to to say what I needed, because oftentimes I didn't know what I needed until it was in front of me. And so depending on your relationship with the person, I know that my family, my friends would just show up <laughs> with, um, you know, with with food or with groceries or um just anticipate some things like I remember a a story I was right before Christmas and a friend of ours uh, and her husband came over and just set up a Christmas tree for us and it was just something that was last on my list like I didn't even think about doing something like that but they but they did that and it didn't take very long and I just thought these little things like that or um um, at my son's school they organized a a uh, dinner train, if you will. And three nights a week, there would just be a box of a a casserole and some dessert and some bread that was there. And, um, you know, it was just something that I didn't have to worry about, especially with a young son, having to make dinner uh, three nights a week was was so helpful for me. It's it's those little things that are just very human. And I ask because, you know, I think in 
today's world, we're so used to, somebody makes a post and you hear someone lost a family member and, and people just write, you know, so sorry, sending prayers. And then that's the end of it. But that human connection Mm -hmm. can make all the difference to the family that's in pain. Absolutely. Um, There was even one instance during the treatments where I knew I had to read a bunch of books because I wanted to find out what the latest trials or treatments were for this type of disease. And uh, my sister's-in-law, some friends stepped up and said, what books are you going to read? Please tell me, and I'm going to read them for you. And, And there was a handful of books, and I remember each one of them read a book quickly and gave me a synopsis, like a one page. Instead of me taking the time to do that, they took the time to do it and just gave me the, the bullet points. And I can't tell you how helpful that was at the time for me. And um, I mean, those, those kinds of things were, were so helpful to me at the time. The book is You Can't Do It Alone, A Widow's Journey Through Lost Grief and Life After. Maria, a few times during the interview, you mentioned the hope for increased brain cancer research and a treatment. Is there anything that our listeners can do to help? Um, In regards to finding a cure, if you would like to donate, and I know it's tough at these times, but, you know, there are other cancers, there are other charities that you might want to consider. I hope that you would consider brain cancer research as one of them. Um, This disease will does not discriminate and it will get you if you are young if you're old it will affect um you whether you are black white asian and it just doesn't discriminate so i hope that you will spread awareness um talk about gbm talk about brain cancer and maybe it can inspire a young doctor to devote their lives into research for finding a cure because I really wouldn't want to wish this disease on anyone, not even my enemies. It is very difficult to get through something like this. And when I say you can't do it alone, I couldn't have done it alone. Um, I'm so grateful and thankful for my village, uh, my family, my friends, my church for helping me and continue to help us get through life now after my husband's passing. Maria, thank you so much for spending time with us. I am so sorry for your loss, but I'm thankful that you've shared your story because I know that you're going to be helping so many people. Thank you for for helping to shine the light on brain cancer, Joan, and for uh, the light that you bring to the world. Thank you so much. This is Conversations with Joan. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. 